So let's say everybody warm up, get to it. Hello, hello. <laughs> Talking to the silver thing. <laughs> this is James, and this is why. Boom. Then we can go. Yeah. Good. That's why I was. I know you got it. I, just, I think so, yeah. Are we recording, Are we recording right now? Thanks for tuning in to Seeker. Season 1 is the Book of James. We decided to kick off this podcast with the Book of James because no matter what your background or what your experience is with uh, Christianity or the Bible, um, this is a very accessible way to understand what it means to be a Christian. Does anybody want to refill real quick? As long as yes. We're... Mine just got cold enough to drink. The funny thing... <laughs> your, your, it's true. Your devil coffee from the River Sticks. Oh man! Just cooled down enough. It did. I shouldn't have put. I should have took the lid off. This it thing. was a firm reminder that Jesse does not want to go to hell. Have you seen that Farsay joke <laughs> where they they all have like there's a coffee thing down in hell and they're drinking from the oh, coffee yeah, thing. It's cold. And they're like, oh, this coffee's cold. <laughs> They've thought of everything. <laughs> oh, that's that's okay. That is good stuff. You didn't mess up it's there. Right. So. Nope. I told you. I'm going to go off on a tangent here, but I sent you guys an email about an opportunity that I saw to talk to somebody about the gospel message. Right? An opportunity that I thought in my brain as I'm in the middle of this opportunity. There was a girl on a bus reading a book. And I thought, yeah, I worked in my brain how to start this conversation, how to talk to this stranger about you know, what it was she was reading. I had a way to tie that into talking about the gospel and all that stuff. I played it out in my head. All the time I'm sitting there silent as a rock, not doing a thing. And she got up and left, and I spurned an opportunity to share the word. And I was beating myself up about this. I still think about that. And, you know, it it shames me. That I didn't do anything. Well, it's interesting that you have that level of, I guess, kind of shame over the issue. I mean, like, people do that all the time. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how many times I've, you know, every every day you see probably at least 20 people, you know, in some context or another that you could do that with. And, you know, you don't take the opportunity to do it. And, you know, I, I mean, when, when you sent me that text, I mean, I definitely understood exactly what you're going through. And it's important to always be thinking about how we can be trying to reach people for sure. It really is. Uh, but at the same time, if I, you know, I just kind of, I don't want you to take it too hard on yourself either. You know, like, I mean, people have opportunities come and go all the time, you know, so, you know, just, you know, just looking for the opportunity out there is, you know, and, and then so next time, you know, what are you going to do next time that's different so that you don't have to you know, kind of do this visual, vicious circle with yourself, you know, just to move forward with, I don't know, it just, you know, I, I, I'm not trying to dismiss, you know, the, the significance at all of what you're saying. I just feel like sometimes we get this too wrapped up in this shame that we put on ourselves that we don't necessarily need to put on ourselves, if that makes sense. It absolutely does. Wait, I'm going to go the other way first. 
going to reshame you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. I appreciate that. Um, it, I think, though, this is like how you felt. These are the building blocks. This is like the higher level of maturity that that we're trying to get to. Right? And I think it stings for a reason. Now, pull back. I'm not saying that you were a a sinful man in that situation. But you know it it does remind me that he says godly sorrow produces repentance, right? And not that what you did should have made you be like, "Lord, I'm wrong," right? But the commandment Jesus still lays out in Matthew 28:18 is still it is what it is, right? So we should not dismiss that fact. Um and then it makes me think about Jesus. He said, look, because oftentimes we say, nobody wants to hear about the gospel. You know, People don't want to hear about Jesus. But Jesus is not, oh, that's not the case. Like, the harvest is very plentiful. The laborers are few. I think it may be that everyone doesn't, hasn't come to the point or they don't think on terms like you did that day to say, even though I've heard Jesus say this a million times when I read Matthew, I get to the end of it and I hear him, it hasn't hit me yet that this is what I should be doing. It hasn't hit me yet, and it doesn't bother me. And the fact that it bothers you is good. Like It's going to produce a different motivation next time to go do something different. Now, to Jesse's point, I agree that if we allow it then to be the very thing that paralyzes us, then that's very negative and I don't want to blame it on Satan because we said we weren't going to do that last time, but he definitely wins that battle. He's like, what yes. I really like for you to do is just get really mad at yourself, beat yourself up, and do nothing. Because the next time they get on the bus, you're going to talk yourself out of it again. But on the other hand, if it is something that sticks with you and jabs at you, then next time you're going to take it there. And then it's just it's normal. Well, I hope you feel better because it actually has spurred me to think about those situations differently. And I've actually been working through some ways of bringing that topic up next time it happens. So it's really made me reevaluate what I was doing in terms of personal evangelism. What I was doing in terms of, you know, go forth and, you know, to all the world and spread the gospel. Because what I was doing before was nothing. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> But that instance, that episode on that bus really opened my eyes to that fact and made me confront it head on. And so I think, like you were saying, Julian, is that it really has spurred me to, you know, actually think about that and prepare myself so that next time I won't just run through it in my head. I'll actually do the word. I'll do what Jesus told me to do. I pray that I will. I I want to have faith that I will. I need God to present me with an opportunity to do that again. Um, but I really do think it's opened my eyes to how to do the word in that respect, which is um, really what you were saying. And I appreciate you for saying saying that to me. I, I, I think that's tough. I think it's, I, think it's, I think it's tough for me to swallow, too, whenever I, I have these situations that occur. Like, what happened to you probably happens to me, like... Every time I get on the bus, you know, <laughs> it, things like that happen all the time. And I go, why? Come on. It's not hard. But but then you take it back to, to Acts and you watch, you know, after Pentecost and, you know, you watch Peter and John and you see them wrestling 
uh, with the Sanhedrin court and you see him going through things in, in chapter five, you know, or end of five, you see him praying for boldness after being just like, you know, pulled into court, yelled at, screamed at, all these things have happened, but yet and still they pray for boldness to go do more. And that's the example. Like we pray for boldness to be doers. We pray that we can follow through. And the follow through is not all the way foot on the gas pedal. Oftentimes it's just like a teeny step, just a tiny step. Mm-hmm. Maybe just say, hey, how's it going? You know, and then next time and it's it's just a little more. But we really can't we can't stand in the way of the power of God and what he can do through us. Right. Yeah. We, we can do amazing things only with God pushing through us. It's important, too, to put your illustration, Daniel, which, I mean, it is a great illustration, and it is definitely something to be striving for. Um, So I hope you don't take it, like, any other way from what I said earlier. But my my mind goes back to some context that I just want to clarify, because there might be a lot of people listening that are in completely different places spiritually. Sure. And, and, and for you, you know, that's a, a, a struggle that you're, you know, you're saying, why can't I proclaim my faith? If I've got it and I really believe it, you know, what's keeping me from doing it, you know, and spreading this word, right? There might be other people out there that are, you know, that's the last thing in the world that they're concerned with because they've got much, I don't know, they're, they're not as spiritually mature perhaps, or they just have a lot of problems in their life. You know, maybe they're, some sin in their life is significant and they're thinking you know he's he's worried about this you know i'm worried about (laughs) these problems i don't know if i can connect you know to what they're saying anymore because they're not where i'm at in in my life so that's 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 one of the concerns i have in that but james though it doesn't really discriminate against what that is that 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 you're working through in your spiritual walk at the moment absolutely i mean no matter essentially what it's saying no matter where you're at or where you think you're at in your spiritual walk, you still got something that you can be looking at. You still got room to be improving and perfecting yourself and to be perfecting that faith even further. Oh, definitely. And James doesn't hold back in his warnings to those who think themselves religious. Sure. You know, those who who profess to have this religious fervor and faith and spirit and and drive and desire those are the ones he kind of comes down on and verse uh 26 26 you know if anyone of you thinks he's religious and doesn't control his tongue then uh his religion is useless james doesn't hold back on coming down fairly strongly on people who would you know profess to be right in a great spiritual place so wherever you are coming you know wherever you're coming from exactly like you said uh, whatever your current status of your walk with God, your relationship with Christ, your understanding of the Word, whatever your current um, mode of thinking is in terms of spiritual things, in terms of faith and the Word of God and that its place in your life, James has a message for you. He's got, a, he's got a, a advice and counsel and instruction and teaching and a helping hand. Wherever you are in your walk, James can help you advance you know, to get you to where you want to be. Mm-hmm. So you were saying that it, you know, we keep going back to the the Sermon on the Mount and and this this very much even a little bit outside of the Sermon on the Mount, but still in Matthew, it reminds me 
of um, of Jesus's words, and I think it's, it's so Matthew twenty one thirty one, and he's he's actually he's answering a question um, about um, which which set of people or which person had more obedience. But at the end, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you do. Speaking again to very religious people, people who thought that they had it all together, that they knew everything. Um, And when he speaks in 7, what we keep quoting over and over, 7.21 on down, again, speaking to religious people that he said, um, depart from me, I do not know you. Um, so very much there's that knowing part and the person who knows the Lord is going to be the person at the end of, uh, in, you know, the latter part of those twenties in chapter seven is the one who does the will of the father who is in heaven. Um, but it's not necessarily the one who thinks he is deeply religious. It is the one who does, does the will of the father who's in heaven. And does it in faith, because why did those tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before them? Because they heard John, who came in the way of righteousness, and they believed him. Yeah. They had faith in the word that was taught to them. They had faith in the message. They believed it. They trusted in it. They took it in their hearts. And that faith made them do great things. Then there's verse 27, James chapter 1. It's kind of, maybe we should just skip that one. Kind of gloss over it. <laughs> My wife sent me a text we before we started. We shouldn't any orphans. <laughs> that said, if we, we can't skip chapter, or chapter 1, verse 27, even if it takes us 10 episodes to get there. <laughs> she called us heathens. <laughs> so why is 27 going to be... So important. Yeah, very important. Um, Pure and undefiled religion, my friend. I don't even know the context. This is why. Suzanne's, I just remember I'm from the East Coast, man. Suzanne's done this study on verse 27, and she is of the opinion that when he's talking about orphans and widows, he's talking about everyone outside the church. Because of all the Old Testament references to the children of Israel, that they are... You know, when they're orphaned, they're without their father. Mm-hmm. And he's constantly referring to the nation of Israel as adulterers and adulteresses. So that they're in that marriage relationship, you know, God gave us the marriage relationship to mimic our relationship to him in heaven. Well, that that marriage relationship gets severed and you have, um, when one of the spouses dies, you have that, you know, you're no longer married as a widow. So her thing is that it's a far more expansive command to serve everybody Um, because orphans and widows relates, you know, it's, it's all of us. It's not limited to women whose husbands have died and have no other means of support. It's not limited to minor children who have no parents. It's everybody. We're all orphans and widows in one way or another in terms of the kingdom. So, so then, she's like, so, no, no, no. I, I've never I'm heard not, that perspective before. It's pretty interesting. No, I want to keep going. No, I'm, explain, right. I'm explaining it extremely poorly. So then, is is the idea then to to reach them not on this like um, 
fleshly level, but very much in a spiritual means. Like, yeah. is so she's saying, look, we need to visit widows and orphans. In other words, we need basically just need to proclaim the message to everyone. Is that is that where she's going? Like we we need to make what is not Israel Israel. Yes, she turns that very much into a form of the Great Commission. As a rephrasing of the Great Commission, that, you know, when he says to visit orphans and widows in their trouble, that means to go out there and to get in the world, to get with people who don't necessarily look like us, who don't necessarily think like us, who don't necessarily believe the the specific way that we do, and to get the message out there to them, to be in their lives, to be a friend to them, to be a comfort to them, to be a support to them, to help them in their in their distress. Right, so like she sort of reads that as as a rephrasing of God in the world and preach the gospel all creation. Right. Well, like, certainly fit in with you know many other think, contexts within the Bible. Yeah, right? it's, I mean, I I can get with that application. Well, because the way I've always heard it taught was, we don't t- you know if you're an orphan and a widow, then yeah, we can give you some financial support. Otherwise, we don't do that. Like that's that's adulterated religion is really if you it, it's it's, an, it's an extreme, like oh I'm getting I'm getting hot now <laughs> now we're now, now you got me going limited reading of that verse is that it it sort of restricts doing good right doing the word that's the way that I've always sort of heard it interpreted as if you're an orphan and a widow fine we can take care of you if you're not it's adulterated religion. It's huh. not the church's job. I've never heard it quite. Oh, I mean, I probably have heard it that way before too. But get that's not the. <laughs> Julian's about to go angry. off the hook. Unleash a lot of scriptures right now. I've, I've Please do. Heard that interpretation to really be just much more broad than than narrow, and just you know who's you know it's not specifically targeting only widows and orphans. It's the class of people that are the most needy people, right? And and so we have a responsibility to take care of, you know, everyone in all walks, especially those that are in need. I mean, look, if we turn our backs to those that are in the most desperate situations who need us the most, essentially, then how can we have any hope if we can't even take care of those people? I totally agree. I wish my wife was here. She would do a much, much better job with this verse. Well, she might agree with that too. Like both oh, of absolutely. them are valid, certainly, right? Certainly. I mean, I mean, yeah, ne- I don't... neither one of those perspectives is necess- you know flies against any kind of scripture or doctrine or anything like that. Both of them are perfectly parallel with everything else we read in the Bible. Oh yeah, I have a really hard time reading James one twenty seven and thinking it's just talking about the technical definition of orphans and widows and those are the people that we help in their trouble and period dot end of sentence I have a really difficult time with that interpreting it that way Julian might have something to say I'm agreeing with you I'm agreeing with you that's that's just not what Jesus said in Matthew 5 that's all no it's not it's absolutely not clearly if we're talking the attitudes he, in the same context that he's telling you to love your enemies, give the person the person who slaps you, turn your cheek. If anyone wants to see you, that's cool. Give them your tunic. If anyone forces you to go a mile, give them two. To anyone who begs from you, and you do not refuse the one who wants to borrow from you. The other version's better, actually, in 42, because it says, do not... Uh, 
do not deny anyone who asks of you. Like, I'm struggling with that. You're not straight. You guys aren't struggling with that. But that just, I brought my, I brought my temperature down by simply reading that. Um, yeah. No, I'm with you on that. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I was hoping you'd go to Matthew 25. Whatever you did to the least of these, you've done to me also. Like, the least of these oh, in yeah. prison is exactly. who Jesus is talking about. People who were hungry and thirsty and naked and cold, and you didn't do a thing for them. Right. Well, you didn't do a thing for me, is what he's saying. I think it goes back back to the verse you were on, you know, where, you know, do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. It doesn't say just chop it. Yeah. Just do for the household of faith. Um, because, again, I mean, you, you don't know where people are. You have to... There, there is very much an argument always that that are you are you doing good, especially in mission work. Are you doing good? Are you helping people with the intention of teaching them the gospel, or are you just doing good? Mm-hmm. Like, what is what is your purpose? But very much the the extension of doing good and helping actually promotes the message of the gospel. Like that is like the starting the starter kit of it, right? Yeah. Um, so. I don't know. I just don't. I don't. Again, like uh, you guys aren't in opposition here, so it's. I don't even. My blood pressure came down. I'm actually cruising now. But yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Good. 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 Pretty good. <laughs> For a moment, it's like. It's like yeah. I, have you seen Mystery Man, where Ben Stiller plays this character? I think he's Mister Furious or Captain Furious. I can't remember exactly. But anyways, his his superpower, like there are all these regular guys, I've never seen and they all have these superpowers that are just off the wall. But anyways, his superpower is just that he just gets really mad, and so <laughs> and so when he hears something that he, you know he's like he'll just grab this like squishy ball and start squishing it like to try and bleed off some of the energy, and you'll see it's like veins popping out of his forehead, temperatures rising, and he squeezes the ball a bit, and then it'll kind of calm back down. And, then I'll go, this little sucker just saved your life. <laughs> I was going to take you out. I was going to take you out. Okay, so maybe then in the context of what James is saying, no matter what route we go about this, this is something that's not always easy to do. Well, and even more, I mean, pure and undefiled religion. Just let the weight of that sink in for a second. Yeah, I'm with you. Right? I mean, that is huge. I mean, that that is like the linchpin of defining what our religion is, absolutely, is that goes to the very core of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that you got to think about that for a second. I mean, wow, that is. There's no other place I can think of in the Bible that's so direct. Not that, let's just say this is. <laughs> but that's the, this is the only one that pops in mind well, that is so dramatic. Play the outro music. And what does he say that pure and undefiled religion is? It's service. It's looking after widows and orphans in their trouble and visiting them in their need. And it's keeping yourself unspotted from the world. Mm-hmm. So it's love your neighbor as yourself and love the Lord your God with all your heart. Isn't it? Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Pure and undefiled religion yeah. is loving your neighbor. It's service. And it's keeping yourself unspotted. And you do that by you love when you love your... It's the greatest commandments. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Seeker. Check out our website at seekerpodcast.com. Check out our blog and other information that we have on the website as well. Definitely contact us and let us know what you want to hear for season two. 
Have a good one. Bye.